What would change in the way that you interact with God if you believe that he is good right down to every fibre of your body? What would change in the way that you interact with God if you believe that he is good right down to every fibre of your body? In a positive way, where can you see the evidence in your life where you actually believe that God's good? Here's the truth, right? God gets a pretty bad rap a lot of the time, doesn't he? Have you noticed that? People criticise him, we distrust him, we determine his character through the idols of our hearts, so the things that we really, really want that he doesn't give to us. We think that he's a bad person because he doesn't give that stuff to us. Sometimes we, we, uh, we get our theology wrong and we make God out to be someone that he's not. It's an age-old problem, right, that humanity... Uh, gets a bit of a twisted idea of who God is and his goodness. Look, it's, it's, a, it's a problem of the ages since Genesis 3, but before I get to that, notice this from uh, Isaiah, who was probably around uh, 800 BC, right? So we're talking almost 3,000 years ago. Uh, listen to the question uh, that is asked in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 40. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? See, people were saying that, right? And, and you, you kind of sit here and you kind of go, okay, it's double Dutch to me. Can you put it in, in, in just simple, straightforward, you know, English for our day and age, right? Here's the thing. Do you ever have a moment where you think God's not going to do what you want him to do or he's not going to come through and you just try to work your way around that? You know, it's like you've got something that comes your way and you just kind of go, that's really important to me. And it's really important that I get that kind of outcome out of it. And I'm not sure whether God's going to come through. I think he might leave me high and dry. So I'm going to get resourceful and I'll make sure that I engineer it so it goes the way I want it to go. See, if you've ever done that, even once, there's a sense in which you've asked that question. You could get right in the middle of a really tough, suffering time in your life and you could ask that question just outright, have you forgotten me? I mean, look at Christ on the cross at some level, he's asking that question. He's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, pressure and suffering and the things of this world have this way of actually getting to work, uh, corroding our, our, our view of God's goodness. You notice the answer from uh, Isaiah here is, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But, and I'm sure you've quoted this verse, they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. So you quote that one at the end, right? Maybe not realizing that the context is someone's going, God's forgotten me. I'm, I'm off his agenda sheet <laughs> he's not even thinking about me anymore and i'm in trouble let me change the uh, the word away from believing that god's good to believing that god loves you what if in every moment of your life you were convinced that god loved you or loves you like every single moment like no moment you lived in an ongoing 100 percent no exceptions, awareness of God's love for you. What would that change? You see, the, the questioning over God's love for you 
in some way started right back in Genesis 3, didn't it, with humanity? You know, you know the story, you know, the snake comes into the garden and, and basically says to Adam and Eve, he's not good. He's not fully good. He might be good in places, but he's not fully good and you can't fully trust him. You've got to look after yourself here. He's not going to come through for you. He's holding out on you. A book, kids book that we love here at the project called the uh, Jesus Storybook Bible has a, a particularly powerful way of, of, uh, of uh, describing this interchange between the devil and uh, Adam and Eve. You see, God knew if they ate the fruit, they would think they didn't need him and they would try to make themselves happy without him. But God knew there was no such thing as happiness without him. Some of you need to hear that clarion call today, all right? There is no such thing as happiness without God. And life without him wouldn't be life at all. As soon as the snake saw his chance, he slithered silently up to Eve. Does God really love you? The serpent whispered. If he does, why won't he let you eat the nice, juicy, delicious fruit? Poor you, perhaps God doesn't want you to be happy. The snake's words hissed into her ears and sunk down deep into her heart like poison. Does God love me? Eve wondered. Suddenly she didn't know anymore. Just trust me, the servant whispered. You don't need God. One small taste, that's all, and you'll be happier than you could ever dream. Eve picked the fruit and ate some, and Adam ate some too. Listen to this, and a terrible lie came into the world. It would never leave. It would live on in every human heart, whispering to every one of God's children, God doesn't love me. Why do we find it so hard to believe that God loves us? I want to tell you this morning that God is a blesser. That's what he is. He's a blesser. All right? Who's a, who's a saint here? Put your hand up if you're a saint here today. Okay, and put your hands down. We'll just do that again, just in case you're worried, right? Because some of you are going, well, I, I didn't get it right this week. According to Ephesians, right, which is what we're working through, a saint is someone who's a son or a daughter of God, all right? And a saint is actually not dependent uh, upon being a saint on their own holiness, right? But on what Jesus did from on the cross to purify them for all their junk, all right? So can we just try that again? Who's a saint here this morning? Excellent. That's great, all right? I wanna, here's what I want to say to you this morning. For anyone here who's a saint this morning, God never, ever, ever relates to you in any way that isn't about blessing you. You believe that? He is a blesser. That's what he is. He blesses. And if you're a saint, if you're his kid, he's not like this weird kind of dad who kind of gives you a little bit so he can draw you in so then he can do what he wants with you. He's not the dad who gets you to hold the spark plug while he starts to tr- start the, goes to start the mower. Has anyone's dad ever done that to him? Because it's really funny when that happens, isn't it? Like when your hand's on that thing. And I want to suggest to you this morning, even if you've got a really high view of God, that God's good and he's a blesser and he's loving, he's better than the best idea that we have this morning of what he's like. Amen? Is that for that? He's irrepressibly good. He unceasingly loves you. And he's an unwavering blesser toward his children and toward his saints. Amen? So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to read a section out of Ephesians. But before we get there, let me just set it up for you, give you a bit of context, right? Normally in Paul's letters, when he writes a letter, he gives some preliminaries and then he gets in and goes, hey, I'm always kind of giving thanks to God for you because I see all these great stuff in you. And then he starts teaching about 
about God. But in Ephesians, it's a little bit different, right? Because he actually gives the preliminaries right at the start and then he just kind of blows up with praise for God, all right? It's almost like he was just, he was going along writing his stuff and then he just explodes with just reveling in who God is, all right? And what you actually have in... Um, in Ephesians 1 is you've actually got, as far as I understand, the longest sentence in the Bible, all right? Now, it's broken up into sentences in English, but verses 3 to 14 of Ephesians 1 are one sentence in the Greek of 202 words, all right? And then after that, you know what he does? He gives thanks, all right? So it's almost like he's kind of going, he gives a couple of, couple of verses there at the start, and then all of a sudden he's just, boom, you know, it's, pro- if, it's a terrible image, right? But projectile praise, let's, let's just call it that, all right? He's just kind of blown up about it and he just goes, God is incredible. So can you grab your Bibles? If you need one, you can go and get one up the back. Uh, we're going to read through verses 3 to 14 of Ephesians 1. So if you can flick over there. Um, if uh, you're not familiar with the Bible, it works like any other book, all right? It's got a contents page in the front. Um, you can look up the page number of the book and then uh, big numbers are the uh, chapters and small numbers are the verses. So we're in Ephesians 1. We're going to start at verse 3 and notice what Paul's going to do here. He's actually stoked about who God is and praising God and he's going to give you reasons to join him in that. Let's start verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Who's the beloved? Jesus, all right? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us do you hear that i lavished okay he's not using a shopper docket to bless you all right and he's not getting four cents a liter off if he buys in bulk okay he lavished upon you in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth In him we've obtained an an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I want you to keep that... uh, that page open or, or keep your, your phone um, marked there uh, at Ephesians 1 because we're going we're gonna to go back there, all right? Here's, uh, l- let me just cash uh, something out for you here. Blessing actually means to act kindly towards someone, to provide benefits for them. Uh, you can see in verse 4 there, blessing is about loving and caring for us. It's what God does to us. So there's a sense in which for Paul here, it's like he's blessing God because God's blessing us. All right? And the blessing that God's poured out upon you is every spiritual blessing. All right? It's amazing. So let's, let's get into it. God blesses. Here's the first thing. The whole Trinity blesses you. Now let me uh, read you an excerpt out of a secret document. No, it's not really. 
We, uh, we just don't, we haven't published it publicly, published it publicly at this point in time. But there's an elders affirmation of faith. So elders in the church are people who are the leaders in the church. So there's five elders in the project and we've got an elders affirmation of faith that all the elders have signed up to. It's about 40 something pages long, all right? And this is an excerpt out of our elders affirmation of faith about the Trinity. You ready? We believe in one living sovereign and all-glorious God, eternally existing in three infinitely excellent and admirable persons, God the Father, fountain of all being, God the Son, eternally begotten, not made without beginning, being of one essence with the Father, and God the Holy Spirit, proceeding in the full divine essence as a person eternally from the Father and the Son. Thus, each person in the Godhead is fully and completely God. Did you get that? It's a bit of a T-bone, right? T-bone steak there, right? But here's the thing. The, the Trinity is a concept that theologians have kind of brought together to describe the fact that there's one God, but there's three persons. There's a God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And every single one of those persons is God, but put them all together, <laughs> which they are always all together, there's one, all right? Now you're sitting there going, yeah, I got that. That's easy. <laughs> All right? And if you get that, you can come and see me later and, and enlighten me, right? Because that's, that's a really tricky one, right? It's just, how do you, you've got these three distinct persons operating in God, one God, and you can come up with analogies like three um, leaves on a clover and you've got one clover. But the problem that with metaphors and analogies about the Trinity is they almost always break down because the metaphor of the clover thing, which is what one of the church fathers used, is like there's three petals on the, on the clover, but there's one clover. But we're actually also saying that one of those petals is the clover at the same time. Do you get what I'm saying? Because one, one of those things is God, but it's not just a petal. And so we just kind of run into troubles with that, all right? Listen to um, another way that theologians actually talk about the Trinity. See if you can kind of pull all this one together. Within the complex unity of God's being, there are three personal centres of consciousness, eternally co-inhering, interpenetrating, relating to one another and cooperating in all divine actions. <laughs> now, if, if, you, if I was sitting there listening for the first time, I'd be going like, okay, Siri, define co-inhere for me, interpenetrating, all right? They're all words to kind of say we've got three distinct beings, but they're all kind of in each other and just all kind of interconnected to each other. All right. Here's a, a statement, a, a quote from uh, Plantinga. He says this, The Father, Son and Holy Spirit glorify each other. At the centre of the universe, self-giving love is a dynamic currency of the Trinitarian life of God. The persons within God exalt, commune with and defer to one another. When early Greek Christians spoke of perichoresis in God, they meant that each divine person harbours in the others, sorry, harbours the others at the centre of his being in constant movement of overture and acceptance each person envelops and encircles the others okay let me just give you a, a, a lower kind of understanding of what's going on with the trinity in ephesians 1 right here's a big idea and you've got to be really careful not to push this too far and some people i think push this too far okay but you could actually understand the trinity as a kind of family all right and some people push the family metaphor too far when it comes to the Trinity. And I think it just gets really messy. All right. And you actually find with any metaphor with the Trinity, if you push it too far, it gets really messy. That's just kind of how it rolls because you're trying to get your head around something that's kind of beyond our ability to comprehend it. But anyway, here's, here's a big idea. Layman's speech. 
In Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, you know what you've got? You've got all hands on deck. Blessing humanity. Did you notice that when you read it? I mean, there's all this stuff in there about, well, this is what the Father's doing, okay? Oh, but you're in the Beloved. The Beloved's Jesus, you know? And he's, he's all part of it, and he's in there, and he's redeeming people and doing stuff. And then the Spirit kind of kicks in at the back end of it, saying, well, you get an inheritance in him. And it's a guarantee, you know, you get the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. So uh, what you've actually got is the family, if you wanted to call it that, and I'm not really calling it a family, but if you were to call the Trinity a family, you've got the family of the Trinity reaching out and bringing other people into its relational core, all right, into its community. Isn't that amazing? Like you're not even a speck of dirt on God. You get what I'm saying? Like, this is amazing that God would reach out to you and say, I want to bring you into my circle and, and I want so that I can bless you. Because that's what the Trinity does with each other all the time. They just bless each other all the time and they, they uh, live selflessly for one another. God's goodness comes at us in all the members of the Trinity. And that's what we actually see in Ephesians chapter 1. It's all hands on deck. Number two, the Father blesses you. Now, one of the things that actually happens often is people in their heads split the Trinity off. Okay? And when you split the Trinity off and maintain that they're separate from each other, like you've got distinct persons in the Trinity, but if you split them off and say they're separate from one another, you get really messy things that happen. So you get people from the UK, I think it was Richard Dawkins, actually saying that God the Father is guilty of divine child abuse. All right? Because he beat up on his own son. All right? Now that only works if you've actually separated God the Father and God the Son. Now if you actually realise that God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, if I can put it this way, are as tight as a gnat's nostril and part of one another, all right, and kind of in everything together, it doesn't make any sense to say that Jesus didn't have any part in him going to the cross, does it? Of course he did. They're all in it together. And that's what you get in Ephesians 1. It's like, if I said to you, oh, isn't it good all the stuff the Father's doing? You should come back at me and go, oh, no, they're all in it together. In Ephesians 1, they are all in the process of bringing about spiritual blessing um, for humans. Now, one of the things that happens, if I, I split off from, uh, let's just leave Pastor, Pastor Dawkins out of it. He's the pastor of the Secular Humanist Church. Uh, the Godfather, he might even say, but he wouldn't say that because he's an atheist. So um, let's get myself into trouble. Just stop and think for a minute um, about what kind of connotation God the Father has in your mind. I mean, there's been a fair bit of work done by a bunch of people recently to do some work on God's Father heart and his love for people. But the truth is, the father's had a bit of a bad rap, right? He, he's got a bit of a disinterested kind of reputation, you know? He's like the cranky, cranky dad kind of leaning back on the recliner, telling the kid to get out of the way of the TV. All right? Isn't it? Isn't that kind of a little bit what a psych is like? You're in the way of the remote and I can't change the channel. Can you just get out of the way? You know, and, and there's a sense in which 
there's a bit of a vibe out there, isn't there? Like you look at the Old Testament, that's God the Father and he's had a few rough nights sleep and he's pretty cranky and he's kind of smashing people there. Thank goodness for Jesus. He's like the nice guy and we kind of get the Lego movie thing, you know, the good cop, bad cop thing, you know, where, where Jesus is kind of the good cop and, and God the Father is kind of the bad cop. But see, that doesn't work. That kind of thinking doesn't work unless you actually separate Jesus and the Father away from each other, does it? Like if they actually go in here, if they're kind of inside of each other and connected intimately and everything, you, you, just, you can't say that. You can't say that's what is actually happening here. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. I want you to hear that the Father is the one that takes the initiative in blessing you. All right? Because that's what Ephesians 1 says. The one who takes the initiative in blessing you is the Father and he works in partnership with the Son and with the Spirit. And not only does the Father take the initiative in blessing you, he takes the initiative in blessing you in every tense that exists. So past, present and future. All right? He is blessing you in every tense. Is anyone happy about this? (coughs) Yeah, Yeah, right. Okay. That's... (laughs) Okay. I'd hate to see it when you're happy about something. I don't know. That's... It'd be scary, all right? It's like... The past, verse 4 there, God's blessing you. God the Father is, was blessing you before the foundation of the world. Verse 7, what we have in Christ now, uh, you're being blessed in the present and in the fullness of time that God's going to bless again. God is not a lazy dad, is he? He is love and he's working with his son to, uh, and he worked with his son to, uh, to bring a source of blessing to us spiritually that we would not have been able to get any other way. Now you can go through, I'm not going to spend the time now, but you, you read through 3 to 14 and you'll be blown away about how many times it actually talks about how God the Father is a source of blessing. But here's the thing. Maybe we don't always think that he is. You see... This is where our view of God can get really challenged, all right? The Father, there's a way in which the Father gets a bad rap, right? And some of the reasons why uh, God the Father can get a bad rap is sometimes you think, oh, maybe he's a little bit like me. Or maybe he's like other people. I've seen the way that other people act and maybe he's like them. Or maybe he's like a particular way because of the way that you interpret your experiences and the things that happen to you in your life. But you know what? There's at least another reason, and probably many more, but there's at least one more reason, is that fathers can do some, some real damage to their kids, right? Let's, I mean, we'll be honest with that, and we just say, there's probably a bunch of, in this room, of, of us in this room just really disappointed with our dads. You know, there's no question that there's real power and influence that dads have in the lives of children, and along with that power and influence comes a lot of damage sometimes, a lot of hurt, and a lot of disappointment. And there's lots of things that can kind of spin off that. A few years ago, I um, did a street talk downtown. And uh, I used to do these a bit, and it was a bit scary, to be honest. But basically, what we did is we grabbed a camera and a microphone and some dodgy interviewer, and we just went down and walked up to random people and asked them questions about stuff. All right? And so we went down and asked people just down near Grand Central, actually, uh, about fatherhood. And uh, this was the video. It goes for about five minutes or so.
protective because it's a pretty crazy world. So the father has to, you know, protect the child but not be too uh, overbearing. So firm but fair, I think, but setting a good example. He's really good. He tries his hardest to, like, give what he needs to give to us. He's probably the other person I get along with at all at my family. Being the person that my father wasn't, unfortunately, and just being loving and tolerant and nurturing and, you know, all those great values instilling that in my son. My father was a Yeah, they're just parents, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, we've got responsibilities yeah. for kids. Got to put them in school, got to look after them. Uh, crippled. Crippled. <laughs> I have nothing for that. My dad's been gone since I was little, man. Yeah. My dad died when I was out. One. Yeah. Everyone's, yeah, it's a sad story. Was it? Oh, just too lost in his own self-indulgent misery, I guess. Just an alcoholic freak. Daddy, yeah. I think, sounds cute. I love my dad because he does so much for our family, so... Just somebody there to guide the kids, I guess. Look after them. Show them the right way in life. Oh, yeah. I don't really know my dad. Good but no, you don't. Uh, you got good memories? Yeah. In a perfect world, what does a good dad do? He drives you places. Drives you around? Because I hate walking. I'm sick Same of it. here. Takes general care of his family. Plays a role model for his children. He just basically just makes sure that I'm alright and stays safe. Hey, Crystal. Look, I'm getting sorted. Oh, just um, go, you know, one day go out, play some footy or something. Uh, spend time with them. Um, Good dad. Uh, well, I wouldn't know myself, but um, uh, I've never had a dad. I don't know my dad. Yeah, but um, I guess a good dad is someone that's going to be there for not only the child but for the family to have a job and put food on the table while the mum does the household things. And yeah, I guess that, that'd be a good dad. To be a sick guitarist, I would love my dad to be a sick guitarist. If I found him and be like. Dad. Your dad's slash. And he, he's just like, yeah, my dad's slash or something. <laughs> dad wasn't like the greatest influence ever in our lives, so we kind of just made the decision to kind of up and leave and he kind of just continued down the road that he was and didn't really want to get in contact with us, so I don't know. So that was like a massive struggle for us. They'd set the benchmark and you try and do the same. And maybe improve in a few areas too, like not beating up on the kids quite so much. I was, I was six when he... Yeah, I remember some of it. It was good. I sort of see him a little bit. It's kind of like sitting in the same room and you just kind of, hey. And he's like, hey. That's it. No real conversation going on there. It's just being around each other. So you got a child of your own? Yeah. Is, dad, is the dad of the child around? Um, yeah, he's got her full custody, so he's doing a really good job. Yeah, so he's a good dad. <laughs> Are any of you blokes dads yet? No. no. Not yet. Not that I know of. How do you reckon he'll go? It will be soon. <laughs> <laughs> You're in trouble. For life. Go and listen to and find out, you know, what the real problem is. And then do something that, you know, she would really like. And take you somewhere nice for lunch or take you to movies. The child may hate the father, but the, the, the problem could be a lot more deep-seated. Yeah. It could be like, he's the because sometimes we take our anger out on the ones we love the most. The father should you know, sit, sit down and basically just say, hey, what's going on? You know, and just really take an interest in what's happening. 
I see a lot of fathers yep. don't really do that and it's like you know that there's none of this hey how are you really feeling you know and really trying to bond with their, with their child so mate foot is on like there was five of us kids and he took us on fantastic holidays every year without fail and we just expected it at the time and it's only when you get older and realize what the cost was and the sacrifices he made and how hard he worked so he could do that for us you know well, the father's busy playing his stupid video games 24 7 i mean he doesn't deserve to be a father. If I was a dad, I'd probably be a sick guitarist, like, okay. like I want my dad, my dad to be. And um, I'd probably I'd look after my kids because I wasn't really looked after by my parents and stuff. So just that sort of stuff. Be a good father. I'd like to be a good dad. I like to, my kids to go and brag about me, saying I'm awesome. I guess my perspective of a father is hindered as a, as a kid. Um, I found that um, just kind of seeking God as a father and just kind of relying on him was a bit hard for me to not be able to, to do because it was hard doing one like in the physical sense but um just being able to completely just throw that away and throw caution to the wind and just kind of depend on on God has just been like a massive challenge and but it's just been rewarding and just know that kind of, kind of held. People's natural dads can do a great deal of damage, and you can hear that uh, that last lady there just kind of grappling and just trying to w just get to the point of, of engaging with God as a father because of the damage that her own father had had done to her. You might have heard some people say this: uh, you can't really appreciate God as your father if you had a poor relationship with your natural father. Um, at the end of the day, I, I, I don't think that's true because I, th I think there's a lot of uh, roles that the Bible speaks of God playing that are, that are carried out by um, people who are far less than perfect. Like that not every king's a good king. Uh, not every shepherd's a good shepherd. Uh, not every father's a good father. But I think that statement, if I just set that aside for a minute, that thought aside for a minute, that statement I think reflects the depth of hurt and pain that can come to people as a result of what their fathers have done. Natural dads uh, can do a great deal of damage. You know, there's, there's a way sometimes where humans can image a, a Satan-like God <laughs> and then kind of other people look at them and just kind of go, oh, if that's what it's meant to be like, then I'm, I'm never going to trust in God. I remember a, uh, an apologist from the States called Greg Kokel. He had this uh, little strategy he would use with people who would come up and say a particular thing to him. So someone would come up and say, I don't believe in God. His next question would be, what do you mean by God? And then the person would describe what they would mean by God and he would say I don't believe in that God either because people's conception of God is often wrong and it's often uh, really dodgy and I think sometimes people's conception of God as father is actually wrong it's really dodgy and if we actually had the opportunity when someone says I can't really trust in God as father you just want to go what do you mean by father what are you thinking of when you think about that you know if someone said to me, well, I think of someone who's erratic, hurtful, absent, domineering, I'd say I don't believe in a God, the Father, like that either. That's not what he's like. And I would just ask you the question now, just as a, a, an opportunity to reflect there, what was your dad like? How has he influenced your view of what God is like as a father? 
See, one of the things that I've talked about quite often at the project here is that the life that we live and the experiences we go through and the suffering that we go through and the trouble that we go through and the fathers that we have and the brothers and sisters we have and the mums that we have, all of that stuff can actually kind of encroach upon us and start to actually generate ideas about what God's like in our heads that aren't actually true. They're actually lies. And do you know what actually happens if you absorb a lie about what God's like is you actually operate relationally with God with that thing built in and it actually your relational kind of relating to God just gets all dodged up because you've got a lie in there does, does that make sense it's like that with anyone like if you go home today and you lie to your spouse or lie to your kids or lie to your parents all of a sudden there's going to be a lie in there and it's just going to mess up the way people are relating together okay and it's exactly the same when it comes to God and exactly the same when it comes to God as a father. If you actually absorb into that and just overlay over the top of your view of God, some view of fatherhood that came from somewhere else that's wrong, that's going to dodgy up your relating to him. All right? And I'm not saying that to criticize you or to say you've done something wrong in doing that. I'm just saying you just need to see that. If you've absorbed lies in there, you need to actually go to work against those lies because it's going to mess up the way that you, got, you and God do business. You get, you get what I'm saying? And I would ask you, what lies are you living out about the Father? Is he capricious? Is he out to get you? Is he harsh? And I would ask you, if you've got some of those sneaky little pieces in there about what God's like, that's messing up the way that you relate to him, how are you fighting it? So tell me this, this is not a trick question. How do you fight against a lie? With truth, all right? Is everyone cool with that? With truth, okay? So that's all I'm asking. Where's a piece of truth that you can kind of throw at that one? Throw at that lie, whatever the lie is for you. Well, let me give you one. There's heaps of stuff in the Bible. We don't have time today, but there's heaps of stuff in the Bible about what God's like as a father. Here we go, Luke 11, 11 to 13. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Like who does that? All right, now here's the thing. Some of you sitting there going, I think I know a father who might do that, but that's not Jesus' point. Jesus is talking about the good ones, right? He probably hasn't even started on the bad dads, okay? He's talking about the good ones, right? Well, instead of a fish, give him a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are? Everyone say that word. Evil. Evil. <laughs> that's, that's what it says up there right and it's Jesus paying you not much of a compliment right but here's the thing he kind of is he's saying listen you're evil and you still give good stuff all right he says now just compare that to God who's not evil if you know how to do something good when you're evil it kind of follows that if you're not evil and you're really good you're going to be even better at that okay if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And you know what? That's true about everything. God is a good giver of gifts. Amen? Isn't that true? And He will give good gifts to you. He will consistently give good gifts to you. All right? He's a good Father. All right? He will never, once you're in Christ... And, and you're in that place of blessing, there is nothing that ever is going to come from his hand towards his children that is not blessing. Now, does it mean that life won't be hard? What do you think the answer to that is? No. But he will find a way for everything that happens that it will bless you. It will be a blessing to you. All right, number three. 
Here's where we're going to finish. To be blessed like this, to have a father like this, you must be in Christ. Now, can you sneak back over to, uh, I think it's the fourth or fifth book in the Bible, uh, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 28. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, fifth book. There you go. Who knew that? Yeah, you did. Greg knew it. I knew Greg would know it. He'll probably show me up again before I'm finished. Have you got there? Deuteronomy 28. Here's what, as we read this, right? As you notice in Ephesians 1, it was talking about God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. Here's what I want you to notice as we go through there. See, do your best to notice what, what's the nature of the blessings in Deuteronomy 28 and how do you get them? All right? You all good? Let's go. Verse 1 of Deuteronomy 28. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall you be shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall, shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. All right, what, what kind of blessings are these? Can anyone get it? Material, they're physical blessings, right? How do you get them? By obeying, all right? So do you see here, it's like in, in Ephesians 1, Paul's going, you get every spiritual blessing in Christ, but you could have actually got some physical blessings by playing your cards right at some level. Does that make sense? But he's saying all these blessings that come from Jesus, so you being in his family, you being redeemed, getting your sins forgiven, uh, every spiritual blessing only comes by being in, in Jesus, in Christ. All right? That's how you get it. Now, notice in... Uh, Ephesians 1, you can flick back over there if you, if you can get there quickly. Uh, Jesus is referred to 15 times in the first 14 verses of the letter. The phrase in Christ or in whom or in him appears 11 times. It's a really, really personal reality. You see, if you're in Christ, you're dynamically linked to him. You're in communion with him and you're unified with him. Now, who would like a couple of sticks of gold bullion? Anyone? Oh, serious. Like two people in the whole church. Come on, who would like a couple of sticks of gold bullion? Be honest about it. I'll put two hands up and get four. All right? Because some of you just going, oh, I tell you what, if I could have a couple of sticks of gold bullion, I, th I think that could see me out. Right? We could be okay with that. You know, that, I think that would be enough. We could make that work. How hard would it be for God to make another couple of sticks of gold for you. Do you reckon that would be that hard for him? It's not, right? How hard is it for him to give you all of the spiritual blessings in Christ that we read in Ephesians 1, 3 to 14? Is that hard? Well, maybe no, but maybe yes. Like, how would that actually be hard? Anyone know? Sorry? That would be hard. How does he pay for it? Christ right what did Jesus have to do he actually had to go and die I mean just thinking about that I mean there's the whole receiving side of it but thinking about the toughness and the cost to God like it's not a big cost to God to make some gold 
Like, he could give you some stuff. What's my point here? My point here is that the spiritual blessings that you get in Christ far exceed anything physical. And we get really focused on the spiritual. Sorry, on the physical, I should say. And we forget that the spiritual is the most precious. Don't we? So do you even... Like, can you even plumb the depths of the profundity of what it means that you're to be in Christ? Like in and adopted into his family and walking with him, like to be friends with God in a deep way so that everything that happens to you that comes from his hand is only blessing for you. And this is, what we, this is what we're saying at the project. We're saying God is interested in physicality. There's no question about it, but God is gunning for the biggest blessing for you and the biggest blessing for you is for you and Christ to be walking together in relationship. There is, I tell you what, you have that, you can do anything. Isn't that right? That, haven't you read that in the Bible where you just go, if you've got that, yeah, you can do anything. It's like if you and Christ are tight you and Jesus are really tight relationally and he's got your back and you're in him and you're adopted into his family. Come what may, you can throw anything at me and I'm going to be okay. Isn't that true? That is a massive, massive blessing. And you know, we, we see this actually happening with people at the project at the moment. You know, there's, there's people in the project going through some intensely hard times, physically. You know, someone even after the first service just said, was, was talking to us about someone that they knew that's going through a ridiculously tough physical time. And do you know what they said? They said, it's, it's really strange, you know, they are so at peace in the middle of this tough time. And I'm just, that is, like, that is untouchable, right? <laughs> if you and Jesus are tight, that is actually untouchable. It's like, and they've got some rough stuff happening for them at the moment, all right? And I'm sure that you've gone and you've met up with people and you sat down with them and they, you can see that they're, Jesus and them are just really tight in the middle of their trouble and you come away more challenged and you're going to kind of go in there to bless them and they kind of ended up blessing you. You, you with me? And why is that? Because the greatest blessing is to get the back end locked in with Jesus so that you and him are really tight and that you're his kid and you're in a, an ongoing place of blessing and he's looking after you. Amen? It doesn't mean that hard things are not hard. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying hard things aren't hard. What I am saying is it gives you a solidity. <laughs> it gives you an anchor that, that will protect you and, and hold you firm. Here's a uh, question that gets asked in Redemption Greece. Would you rather have a crisis-free life or a crisis-proof life? And most of us probably would say we'd rather have a crisis-free life. <laughs> but let me ask you this question, which one's better? Crisis-proof, right? Crisis-proof is better than crisis-free because crisis-proof is strong, isn't it? And robust. Isn't that what we're gunning for? We want a crisis-proof life. How do you get a crisis-proof life? You be in Christ, don't you? And you stay in Christ and you walk with Jesus in everything and you, and you walk in his presence all the time and it doesn't mean things won't be hard and it doesn't mean that you'll be shaking your head trying to work out how things even work and and it doesn't mean you won't be grieving and you won't be lamenting and you won't, but you know what in the middle of all of that you're going to stay strong in the core because you've been blessed with the greatest spiritual blessing 
One quick comment, a closing scripture, and then we're just going to take communion. I don't know whether you've ever noticed this, but um, you can go to different churches and they emphasise different members of the Trinity. Have, have you ever noticed this? Like you can go to one church, right? And it's like the Holy Spirit, right? The only, it's like, do you guys ever talk about Jesus or the Father? Right? It's just like the Holy Spirit all the time. Holy Spirit that, Holy Spirit that, Holy Spirit this and that and all over the place. All right? And I think there's an imbalance going on there. All right? And I, and I want to I help you to understand where we kind of sit with all this sort of stuff. Because you can go also to another church who's just going to talk about the Father's love. It's the Father's love this, Father's love that, Father's love here, Father's love here. Talk about the Father. Don't even know really what happened too much to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We're kind of off on this, uh, on this trip a little bit with uh, the Father's love at the moment. And then if you go to some evangelical churches, uh, I've heard it said about evangelical churches that they believe in the Trinity, uh, God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Bible. Uh, and they, they never talk about the Spirit really at all. Uh, and so you kind of end up with an imbalance kind of out in that kind of direction. Here's, here's where we sit at the project, right? We, we sit with the Trinity, okay? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and we believe that that community of persons wants to draw us into their community, okay? And you know what the capsule is that gets you into that community? It's Jesus. <laughs> and you need to walk with Jesus. And that's what Ephesians 1 is talking about. You want to be in the center of blessing in the middle of that Trinitarian community? You've got to be in Jesus. So we're going to talk about Jesus a lot because that's where you need to be situated. That's where relationally you need to be sitting. That's the way that you get into God's family is through Christ. Let me finish uh, with this scripture. You know this one, right? Because here's the bottom line. In uh, Romans 8, Christians are getting beaten up and persecuted, right? And this explains exactly what I've uh, been talking about for the last five minutes or so. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Listen to this. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The most expensive blessing that has been purchased for you is what you were given in Christ, dying on the cross for you, right? Do you know what? Everything else is cheaper than that. <laughs> okay, and Paul's kind of saying, hey, listen, if the most expensive one was given to you and you got every spiritual blessing, as he says in Ephesians 1, don't freak out about the rest of it. Like God's not a cheapskate where he's going to give you the most expensive thing and then give you home brand custard. Do you get what I'm saying? Like that's not what he does. He doesn't do that. He doesn't go, oh, look, I'm going to give you this much money. You need to go and use a shopper docket. All right? He's given you the most expensive. You can trust God the Father to look after you at every other level. You just need to stay in Christ. And you know what? What we're going to see next week is that's not really up to you. Right? Like God makes you part of his family. <laughs>